All right. Welcome to another episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Schober here, and I'm here with my brother, Craig. How's it going, Craig? Great. Um, how are you doing, Scott? Good, good. Look forward to another uh, great episode here. Uh, I'll give a quick rundown of maybe the three stories that are selected that we're going to dive into a little bit. And uh, just to whet your appetite, our cyber tip of the week, we're going to be talking a little bit about apps, the apps on our smartphone. And uh, and that ties in nicely with with our first story there. Um, and that's uh, taken from Info Security Magazine. Euro authorities warn World Cup fans over Qatar apps. So we'll be talking about that a little bit, the, the FIFA World Cup and uh, some of the apps used with that. Uh, next story that we're going to talk about is, uh, let's see, from Krebs on security. Our friend Brian Krebs is a great uh, reporter, security researcher. Lawsuit seeks food benefits stolen by skimmers. So we're talking a little bit about credit card skimmers and uh, some of the, the in, in information there and some of the stuff that we're doing here to help combat uh, skimmers. The fourth or third story there is Nokia warns 5G security breaches are the rule, not the exception. And that's from Cybersecurity Dive. The good news story there. We'll dive into that, talking a little bit about some 5G technology and things that kind of parallel a lot of the stuff we do in our business here. But uh, before we dive right in, I do like to thank our sponsors, Dark Kryptonite. Dark Kryptonite stops ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare. Dark Kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. You can learn more on www.darkkryptonite.com. And uh, just to note, Kryptonite is spelled with a C. So check out some of the great stuff that they're doing. All right. And as I mentioned there, uh, well, this is a kind of a popular time of the year, Craig. If, I don't know if you're a, how much of a fan you are as far as the World Cup, but I'm starting to hear about it a lot more now in the news on the Internet there. And uh, I thought it was an interesting stat that I kind of uh, stumbled across there was in uh, I think it was in 2018. The World Cup had view- viewership of about three point five billion people which I never realized they had that big of an audience. But then this year, the expected, the predicted viewership is supposed to be over 5 billion people around the world watching the FIFA World Cup. So uh, that, that's a, a, a pretty big audience when you think about it. I don't know how many people there are in the world right now, uh, oh, but it's yeah. a lot. <laughs> I, there, I think we just crossed 8 billion, I believe, um, which is a crazy number. Yeah. Thinking back, I remember going you know the elementary school i think and we were told there were maybe three to four billion yeah, at that time yeah. so in it's less doubled. than my lifetime so far it's doubled yeah it's crazy uh, that, that's a lot of people it's pretty amazing so any event well how does that affect people how, how does this story affect people that uh, info security magazine talked about there and they mentioned that the uh, european authorities warned uh, fifa world cup attendees against downloading the official tournament app, and it's named Haya, as well as a healthcare app. And I can't even pronounce that. Eteraz? Uh, Eteraz, it looks like, uh, yeah. yeah. And, they, and the part that's interesting, they mentioned that the two apps may collect location data without permission. I stopped right there and I said, well, yeah, no surprise. Is, isn't this a common thing? We've talked about this before. There's so many apps mm-hmm. on our smartphone um that are collecting data about us and i think it's it's not that big of a surprise um how bad is it as far as security i don't know it depends who you are and 
how paranoid you are and what kind of privacy level you want. But realize when we do download apps under the terms and conditions, we are, when we hit that agree or accept, what we're doing is we're opting in. We're agreeing to allow them oftentimes to collect a lot of this data. Now, the, the caveat here is it's saying that these two apps may collect location data without permission. Therefore, even a privacy advocate or somebody that really is concerned may read this and say, oh, okay, well, they're not collecting data about me. I'm not opting into any of that. If they do have concern, but they're saying that they still are. And uh, I, I guess that that's kind of a gotcha there. And, yeah, a big, concerning. big chunk of this story to me is about transparency and consent. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you got to be... You got to be transparent with your users have a pop-up appear when it, it you know whether it's trying to access your um camera roll or your audio files or your your gps something on your phone it should ask permission and it should get consent from you so you could say okay or not uh in this case it's sort of it's it's kind of obvious because one of these apps is uh, uh hi, hi, hiya is hiya, the yeah. that's that's the official uh app of the fifa world cup or one of them i think they they probably have a couple but you know does that really need to know your location data possibly because you might need you can only buy certain authorized uh you know merchandise when you're at the stadium and it unlocks that virtual store when it sees that you're there and so you know do you need to can you assume that it's looking at your your GPS to know where you are? Probably, but that doesn't matter. I think it should tell you what it plans to do and abide by those rules. You know, so yeah. yeah if you, if you say no, then it will say, "Sorry, you're gonna have to turn your GPS on in order to do X or Y." You know, and and in the other case, uh, this Enteraz app is for contact tracing. So that's you know yeah. COVID and other healthcare issues that that is worthless app without gps on for instance yeah. so you would you would think that yes they would be clear and but then they would follow through and what they say and if you say uh, if you say no i do not want you tracking me then you're basically opting out of using that app altogether because you know without geocoding contact tracing is completely useless yeah. um yeah. So again, it's you know, are they doing are they doing the are they trying to do the right thing? Maybe, but they're not doing it with transparency and consent like you should do. Yeah. And maybe that's a better way, like you to your point, if they were being transparent, they would explain the reason. I would assume they could probably argue, hey, if you're using the the Haya app uh as a fan, you're you're a paid fan, you and that you have digital tickets that reside on your phone. And if you check in at 8 p.m. to watch the game and then suddenly an hour later, somebody else shows up and they, they've stolen tickets or copied them or hacked into your phone or whatever, and they show up at the entrance gate an hour later, they're going to say, wait a minute, he already checked in. Let's check the geolocation. Stop. Don't let this person in. These are stolen tickets. Something like that, maybe. Maybe it's for security features. Who, who knows? But just mm -hmm. being transparent and explaining the reasons why would probably help alleviate some of the concerns from fans and things like that. And it did mention a number, it was cited throughout the story, um, different organizations that kind of uh, put up all their warning flags there from the French, the German, Norwegian Data Protection Sea Authority. So it's multiple countries. And obviously there's a huge fan base since this is, is a, um, a global game that's going to be watched by, uh, geez, more than half the world, I guess you could say. Um, 
but but for fans attending there, they, they do want to be careful and probably want to do a little bit more research before just quickly downloading those apps. And that, that kind of leads us, Craig, into that, that little, I, I, I mentioned it at the onset there, the, the cyber tip of the week. And, uh, and my thought is, is the apps on our smartphone. As I scroll through my smartphone, I did this the other night, actually, I realized I still have a lot of apps that I, I don't use that much. I download them for whatever reason. It could be a game. It could be a, a program to do this or that, or I'm buying something. But I've only used it once, and that's it. And it's residing and sitting on my phone. And then when I go to look at the actual permissions and dig in a little deeper, I realize that I'm allowing them to have some level of access to my my phone or geolocation or sites that I visit, so on and so forth. So my tip of the week is if you haven't used an app in the past month, delete it because these apps collect a ton of data about you and you're giving it away for free. The average smartphone, the latest statistic as, as of 2022, the average smartphone has between 60 and 90 apps installed on it. I, that's more than, than a couple of years ago. So it's going up and up and up. The number of apps people are downloading and leaving on there. And the majority of mobile um, time that's actually used by apps is, is spread out usually between three apps only. So that tells mm -hmm. you, you know, three apps are doing about 90% of the, the work for you. The rest of them are just sitting there. Um, something to think about. A nice little tip there. Do a little house cleaning. Go on your smartphone or your spouse's or your kids and see if they're not... If they're not actively using that, and, and you can you can look to and see how much time they've actually spent on them. If they're not using them, delete it. And, yeah. and it's going to let your phone run a little faster. And uh, you don't have the fear that that somebody's collecting tons of information and kind of surveilling you. Yeah, I, I've got an even easier way to do that. Um, you can, at least on uh, iPhones through iOS, you mm -hmm. can go into settings and then choose the uh, App Store set. Uh, Pull down, and on, towards the bottom of that menu, you'll see um, offload. Uh, there's, a, there's a toggle to offload apps automatically that haven't been used in 30 days. That's what I've been doing for the past couple years. Um, I find, you know, once every couple months, I'll need an app that was offloaded, so I'll just quickly down re-download it again. Mm -hmm. But I have over 100 apps on my phone, um, like images of them, but only about 25 apps do I still actively have on my phone with all that data because I use those daily or semi-daily, you know, a ton of them pages and pages I scroll through all the time or just old games, old utilities, old apps of all types that I just, you know, I used once or twice. I forgot about whatever. And I don't like them lingering on my phone and I don't like the, the data that lingers, you know, cause remember third, third, if these people are ripping your data, and storing it somewhere on your phone, that means if someone gets a hold of your phone and hacks it, now they have data that was ripped off from those apps. So it's like a it's a it's like a double whammy, a thief stealing from another thief, you know? Yeah, so true. And that's a good tip there. I like that. I'm, I'm going to actually set that up on my smartphone. That way, you don't even have to think about it and check every once in a while. It just does it automatically. It's a great idea, especially for iOS users there. Um, okay, just just as a friendly reminder, we want to again thank our sponsor. Dark kryptonite, they stop ransomware, malware and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud and information warfare. Dark kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. You could learn more if you go visit their website, darkkryptonite.com. That's kryptonite with a C. Check out some of the great stuff they're doing. All right. The next story comes from a, a colleague 
that uh, I've been following for years, and, and you and I have, we've we've written about them in tandem, and a lot of our research parallels a lot of the things that uh, Brian Krebs does, and and he's just a great reporter, former um, Washington Post reporter, focuses on a lot of Russian uh, cyber criminal gangs and uh, spam. He wrote a great book, uh, Spam Nation. I did a book mm-hmm. review on that a number of years ago. Really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I got to give him credit. He really does his homework and, and he's a gifted writer. So when you want to learn about things that are, you know, security and cybersecurity, but also uh, read and get the, the, the deeper details, he's the man to turn to. So I'm glad this story kind of uncovered some nice things there. And, and the title of it is Lawsuit Seeks Food Benefits Stolen by Skimmers. And um, I, I think in the, if you follow the headlines, and I do follow this a lot, and you probably do too, Craig, since we make some skimmer detection tools within our company, um, the, the problem I would think would have slowly waned off, but it seems like it's increasing in frequency. Uh, skimmers placed in gas pumps. We talk about skimmers in ATM machines, skimmers in all kind of point of sale terminals at stores. The list goes on and on. And it, it, it hasn't gone away just with the chip and pin that we all would think that are embedded in our credit cards. So um, it's, it's, it's an ongoing issue. And in this particular story, to kind of set it up, it mentions uh, that he reported on nonprofit organization is suing the state of Massachusetts on behalf of thousands of low-income families who were collectively robbed of more than $1 million in food assistance benefits by card skimming devices secretly installed at cash machines and grocery store checkout lanes across the state. So this is really isolated to the state of Massachusetts, um, but it does not sound like a a very uh, small, uh, it sounds more like it's a a sophisticated crime ring if they've stolen more than a million dollars already. That's Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty severe. Yeah. um, I don't know. What do you gather from this? It's, it's not, it's not necessarily a targeted, attack against these people mm-hmm. um i think it's just uh you know wrong place wrong time they happen exactly. to use their card to get you know this government assisted food program at a uh whatever a 7-eleven let's say for instance and that little card swiper had a skimmer over top of it or maybe they used you know i don't know if this uh, this food program covers gas or whatever, but maybe they used it in a gas pump for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I, I suppose they're just uh, uh, just another subset of victims from skimmers because we all use um, you know cards, especially in the U.S. cards that rely on mag stripes, and those are all very susceptible. Uh, the most, at least the most popular, uh, popularly are susceptible to to the skimming attacks. Because all you need is a second magnetic little head flipped in there in that skimmer. And now you think your transaction's going through and you get what you want. But the problem is the thief gets what they want too. And that's your data and and possibly even your pin code if they install a camera to see you punch in your numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the other thing that, and maybe it, it, it kind of does talk to, to some point to, to your point there, this rash of skimming incidents um, disproportionately affects those receiving food assistance by a state issued prepaid debit card. So these prepaid debit cards, I believe, are mailed to them and it's got the mag stripe on it. And they call it the SNAP program, Supplemental Nutrition and Assistance Program. I, 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 it's kind of surprising, but it says it serves over 1 million people in Massachusetts. 
mm. and 40 million people nationally. That's a lot of people that are getting assistance there for, for food. And uh, it, it speaks to the, um, the challenges, I guess, with the economy in the United States, where it's really sad that some people are just struggling to put food on the table, not to mention the sheer price increases with inflation of food. And, mm -hmm. and now you've got these cyber thieves that are putting these skimmers everywhere. And, and who's it affecting? It's affecting everyone, but especially disproportionately the, this, this large percentage of people that's growing and growing that really need food assistance. They deserve it. They need it. Yet they're they're getting scammed out of their their uh, their debit card money there. Yeah, and it's, I don't know about, but uh, I can only uh, gather. But since it's a debit card, uh, the money is being withdrawn from the account, and there might be no recourse. I don't know if you know this is a federally funded or a state funded. If, I don't believe they can come in, and then you know, even if you can prove that you were somehow stolen from it's kind of like it's kind of like going up with cash and saying yeah, yeah i had cash one moment and then the next moment i looked down i was missing some you know what course of action can you take you have to take the hit and unfortunately these people are right at or just below the poverty line and they get hit the hardest yeah it's hard there and and, and they may not necessarily be in the position where they can have technology and documentation and proof to get the, the money back they're worried about putting food on the table. They're not worrying about buying the latest and greatest gadget or camera or, or trying to document it to get their money back. So it's a really a, a kind of a sad story. I'm glad he reported on it. Um, but it, it kind of speaks to the bigger problem of, of card skimming. Card skimming goes back for almost as long as there's been credit cards. And the United States is, is decades behind on really updating the credit cards to be properly secure. I always kind of laugh after the the breach of Target that happened back in what the 2013 time 13, frame. Yeah, yeah. Then within two years, I think it was 2015. The end of 2015, they mandated the the laws of um, for credit fraud and the, and the liability that it would shift down the chain from the issuing banks and credit card companies to the actual store owners, the retailers, anybody that would accept the credit card to make sure they upgraded to chip and pen. Um, and hence, everybody did. It was more than two years, and some did it very slowly, but eventually they all did it. Uh, otherwise, they would have the shift of the liability when the, a credit card is compromised or debit card, they would have to flip the bill and, and it put companies out of business. So they have great protection laws as long as you updated security, which most did. However, it wasn't properly implemented. Really, what they implemented was chip and signature, they call it. So when you mm -hmm. stick the card, you know, kind of perpendicular into the front of most credit card machines, they just ask for a signature. They don't ask or don't require you to enter an actual physical pin. There's only a few locations that I know of that actually will accept a pin that you put in. I know Target being one of them, which kind of started in this conversation as far as the breach. So that's one mm -hmm. thing that I really wish would get properly updated and more secure um, and properly implementing it, not half-baked. And the reason is, which everybody always wonders, well, why don't they just do it? Other countries in Europe, they do it, this and that, is because it costs more money because it slows people down at the checkout times. They want to be able to process in the United States as many consumer purchases as possible at a retail outlet. And uh, I guess, unfortunately, they're chasing the dollar. They're not worried about security that much. Yeah. And you mentioned um, 
early skimming and uh, the early 2010s and the target mm -hmm. breach and, and that kind of thing. And that reminds me of that's really the time that kind of skimming or anti-skimming, I guess you'd call anti-skimming journalism uh, began because that's the first around the first time. I think it was right around 2013. I saw uh, Brian Krebs who mm -hmm. really pioneered this whole form of journalism about skinning, skimming. He traveled down to, I think it was somewhere in Mexico, Mexico Can yep. Cancun or something mm -hmm. like that. It was a, it was a really nice resort. It wasn't a seedy, scary town full of criminals and all that stuff. It was a nice resort, a uh, nice hotel. And in the midst of this hotel was a, a suspicious ATM. And sure enough, he walked up to it and, and was able to, determined that the the card insert slot was just kind of hacked on there you know haphazardly and he pulled it off he he warned the hotel managers he warned, warned fellow guests and he the whole time he had his phone out so he was doing kind of his own little gonzo video journalism <laughs> you know which which inspired me to then uh, write up some scripts and remember we would we used to go out to gas stations exactly, and every time yeah. every time there'd be a skimming a new skimming event in the news we would cover that story and you I, I'm me with the camera on my shoulders and you with the microphone like coming at you just like you were some kind of you know news I team at your on your side kind of guy yeah. you know and and reporting on the story so investigative very, yeah, yeah it, it was great. very effective you know because we used the the backdrop of not where literally where it happened, but where it could happen just yeah. to, so people know that. And, and I think it got the message out and, you know, going back to Krebs for a second, I think he also kind of inspired us to come out with the skim scan product. You know, it's, yeah. it's a very powerful tool that, you know, Berkeley manufactures and sells to all, all types of users, but mostly people that, uh, you know, mostly gas station managers and mm -hmm. uh, the weights and measures guys, and and even some banks with their ATMs and and all kinds of, you know, vending machines and kiosks, anything that has a payment uh, terminal in it that requires a card swipe, you, you just throw the skim scan in there and it will immediately give you a green light or a red light and tell you whether you need to do further investigation because there is a suspicious uh, unknown, uh, most likely a magnetic head that it detected mm -hmm. in there. So you open up the machine and take a look for yourself. But I think, you know, Krebs kind of inspired Berkeley to do that because no one wants to walk around and, you know, and tug on the, on the terminal, uh, you know, facade to see if, if, if it falls off, you're going to look like yeah. a, a freak, but to go up and just, you know, slide it in and out real quick and get a quick reading. And then you can alert the authorities it's a much uh, uh, much more practical way for both owners and operators of these uh, payment systems, as well as consumers. If you want to be a you know consumer advocate, kind of like Krebs is in, in a way, mm -hmm. um, you could certainly do this with the right technology. And I think that's it's it's exciting when you can empower people of all types to go out and foil you know criminal deeds. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm kind of excited too, because we've gotten an opportunity to work closely with law enforcement, with national weights and measures. I was helping there joining the uh, skimmer task force as well. And it's really more of an education, how to properly check to see if there's skimmers placed in. And a lot of our research 
led to not just uh, training. We did training videos. I did training classes as well as some of our sales engineers, but really development of the next generation product. We, we took it to the next level with um, a Bluetooth detection. We're kind of excited. We're, we're developing a new product we're releasing early next year. Uh, we're still wrapping up the, the firmware software on it called a Blue Sleuth Pro that's really designed so you can um, quickly direction find on skimmers that are placed in, in gas pumps, but these are Bluetooth enabled skimmers, wireless skimmers. And that, that's kind of the hot one that's going around. Cause think about it. Most thieves, if they place a skimmer in an ATM, if they have the means to get in there and place it, they don't want to have to come back to the crime scene. They want to be able to pull up within 75 feet, download all those stolen skimmed credit cards and uh, burn fresh cards later. And with a gas pump, it's a little easier to get inside and out, you know, open up and install a skimmer because they're not as carefully watched with cameras and security. If you go to most gas stations in the middle of the night, they're black. And uh, if there's one camera there that could possibly get you, that's about it. So it's a lot easier to install them on, on um, gas pumps, I think, throughout the United States. And there, there's well over a million gas pumps. So you can pick and choose uh, your stations where you could slip them on. And, and I get regular reports from the industry every time um, certain customers of ours get uh, skimmers and they find them, they let me know. And I, I feel good because I say, okay, that's one less skimmer. The average skimmer, the last stat I read was stealing in a gas pump in the United States before it's found is about $113,000 is stolen in credit cards before it's actually found and reported. If you multiply that by how many skimmers there are out there, it's scary how many thousands upon thousands. And it's not that the old days you had to build your own scammers. You mentioned you take a second a second um, read head, a magnetic read head and put it on there and it's a mechanical and a little lithium battery. And you're kludging it all together, this tiny circuit and slide it into the the ATM or the, the, the POS terminal there. Nowadays, you can just go on the dark web and you can buy it. You just throw money at the problem and you could say, hey, I want to buy a hundred skimmers. What's the cost? You negotiate it on the dark web. You pay for it with digital currency like Bitcoin, which is not that valuable at the moment. And you can get a lot of skimmers pretty cheap and you're in business. And the, and the average guy is making a several hundred thousand dollars a month just collecting all these stolen credit cards. And then they in turn go back to the dark web and they they sell all these stolen credit cards to other cyber thieves. So it's an endless um, circle. And between law enforcement and cyber criminals, it's kind of a cat and mouse game as fast as they've pull those skimmers out, new ones get put in and they keep going and making money. Oh yeah. And while we're throwing out stats, this one blew my mind. So I, I added it actually to our uh, webpage for the Blue Sleuth Pro. Uh, according to FICO, uh, US uh, card skimming fraud has grown over 700% in the first half of 2022. So that shows you it's not going away. Um, we could we could come up with a million uh, anti-skimming devices and sell a million and it still wouldn't go away. This is a growing problem and we need people, we need, first of, first and foremost, I think we need consumers to be alert. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we need law authorities and law enforcement to be, uh, you know, properly armed with the right technology to fight this, to fight it faster, fight it more effectively, whatever it takes. And third, we probably need some legislation on the books, something either higher fines for when these people are caught or, you know, some kind of mandate mandated uh, regular searches of ATMs mm -hmm. in any bank 
that has federal protections, for instance, you know, those kinds yeah, of things. You exactly. can't you can't mandate it across everyone, but you can certainly find certain hotspots that are prone to these attacks and these hacks and, uh, you know, mandate that they get regular regular audits of some type in order to keep these skimmers out of our uh, point of sale uh, systems. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great point. So maybe our listeners are wondering, okay, great. You're telling me all this skimmers are getting worse. There's problems. There's wireless skimmers. So what do I do? Um, old school. I, I encourage you. And uh, I, I'm proud even of my daughter. She does it at gas stations. You, you pay by cash. Cash is king. Don't use a credit card. Don't use a debit card. When you fill up your car, just uh, take out the cash and it can be a little painful with gas at, it's at hovering around four and a half dollars a gallon. Um, but you, you, you were much safer than trying to stick your, your, your credit card into a, a machine these days where there's a, a likelihood that it could be skimmed. So that, that's good advice. Yeah, the other one is uh, it's just more common sense. Um, always try to use the pump toward the center of the gas station. If you're on a highway, you know, like for us, like New Jersey Turnpike or something, you pull into a rest stop to fill up. There may be 50 gas pumps spread out, and some of them are pretty far apart. Statistically, if you go to the gas pumps toward the center, that's the closest to where um, security cameras are, lighting is, and and people, there's less less of a likelihood that a skimmer's placed there. It's typically done on the outskirts, the pumps. Um, that's where they're placed in a much higher chance of getting getting your card skimmed. So you can also use that where possible to, to minimize your risks and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's a growing problem and you got to be careful as a consumer. Um, uh, the ATMs, it's a little bit harder to, to find access because of the modern ATMs. They've changed them. And if, if it's an older bank, it's a lot easier where they could place a skimmer over the existing card reader with a bezel and paint it so it looks very similar or they slide it down the neck, a, a thin one that goes down inside of the ATM. The Getting a Bluetooth skimmer inside of an ATM machine can be challenging, but we, we don't want to put it past thieves because uh, I've even seen some of the uh, some of the evidence where they'll actually take a drill and drill through the front of a machine and then with tools slide a skimmer in, plug it in, and then they just basically put a sticker over the hole that they just drilled into the machine and cover it up and you would never even notice it. It looks very normal. So thieves are, are have done some pretty amazing things and we don't want to uh, just trust that it's a hundred percent safe. So use caution. I personally don't like to use a debit card. Um, if I'm going to have to, I will go to one bank that I use all the time that I know the security and I have a level of comfort over trying to go to random banks or airports or kiosks anywhere. Cause it just in increases your likelihood of getting skimmed. Parking garages are another big, big problem. The, the point mm -hmm. of sale terminal, you can't see it. In the past, I've been scammed, or I should say scammed and skimmed in the past a few times. So, you know, we, we got to really be careful. Try to use cash wherever you can. And if, if you have to use a debit card, you're, that means you're going to have to use your PIN. So just make sure, just like we were taught for years, I mean, this is, this is probably the younger generation uh, you know, doesn't have to deal with this because they're they're doing, you know, they've got their digital payments of all types. But, you know, we had to go out in the old days, we had to go out and get cash. And we were always told by our parents, make sure you stand close to the machine. Well, be, well of course, first be aware of your surroundings because you never know who's behind you. But sure. if there is someone behind you, stand close and guard so they can't see your pin entry. Well, the same holds true for a hidden little camera 
that might be just above the pin. You just put your hand there. I do it now all the time. It's like second nature. I don't know. I don't even know I'm doing it because I've just trained myself to do it. So you're, but you're blocking the possibility of them using any of them getting into your debit card because they might have your name. They might have your account number from that swipe. But if they can't get, if they don't have the pin, they can't get you and they're going to move on to someone who they can get. Yeah, that's true. Good, good, good advice there. Some practical old school tips that still apply today in this modern world of digital currency. And again, I, I would just throw out there, I love digital payments, as you kind of alluded to there. Uh, Google Wallet, and I, I use Apple Pay myself. I know you use Apple Pay. Secure end-to-end encryption. Apple has done a great job at it. It's getting accepted more and more places. I highly encourage people to consider migrating over to that. It's really not well accepted at gas stations, of course. Uh, that will be in the next few years. It'll start to to be uh, accepted there. They're just starting to at a few stations I've seen. So it's coming, just just not there yet. All right. Um, we kind of transitions us into our, our next story here. I just want to, again, uh, just do a shout out and thank you to our sponsor there, Dark Kryptonite. Dark Kryptonite stops ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare. Dark Kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero-trust models. You can learn more if you go to their website, darkkryptonite.com. Kryptonite with a C there. Okay, our our final story here, Craig, is um, taken from Cybersecurity Dive, an interesting news story. Nokia warns 5G security breaches are the rule not the exception even before we dive into i'm just this is more just a a kind of your gut what's your personal thoughts when you hear 5g and i'll share what i feel and i'm curious what you what you feel you instantly think or at least i always thought 5g is going to be a whole lot more secure um every generation as they migrated from the old days when we used to have you know cellular amps you can go down to Radio Shack and, and you could buy a scanner and with adding a, a part or two to it, you could suddenly build a cellular scanner. And, and we developed a lot of equipment used for um, mostly combating people smuggling drugs. And we could listen to both sides with handoffs and both sides of the conversation as uh, the cell phone would sh- shift from tower to tower. Uh, it was pretty advanced equipment then. And we used to you know trigger uh, tape recorders. And law enforcement would use our equipment extensively to go in and to different countries where there were huge drug problems and catch the bad guys. Those days changed as things migrated into the the 3G third generation, which was predominantly here in the U.S., uh, CDMA and globally GSM standards, and then 4G LTE standards, which is really everywhere. Um, And 5G is even more of a global standard and I would think with all these improvements and higher speeds and throughput and low latencies, security is going to get better and better. Am I crazy? What's your thoughts? Yeah. Um, we're, I think we were promised, we were made a lot of promises with 5G. And I think very few of them have come through. And I don't remember too many security promises, but I assumed that they were it was more secure and I, I think that's part of the this problem that has been plaguing 5g and it's kind of like a hype train they've been running now yeah. for for years and years i remember before it even officially launched there were questions already about like will it re- will it really be as fast will it really deliver low latency is it is it robust enough to handle 
you know, X amount of users on and all that stuff. Security wasn't even an issue. It wasn't spoken about back in the early days. And then they then they launched it and we saw that the speeds were lackluster in the US. Um, you know, there's 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 peaks in areas. Uh I've I remember checking as soon as I got I just got the um the iPhone 14 Pro, which is uh, the second gen, uh, it's a, it, I think the 13 was Apple's first 5G, mm-hmm. and this is kind of the second year of their 5G. So, uh, for all I know, I, I believe it might have had a faster modem in there, but I remember I ran around and did speed tests, and in most areas, I was clocking, you know, 20 to 30 megabits, nothing yeah. special, nothing, nothing that 4G couldn't do a long, you know, 10 years yep. ago easily. Uh, one area I did see it jumped up to like, 350 megabits a second. I was like, oh, that's great. It wasn't anywhere near my home or anywhere <laughs> I travel to. So it didn't, it did those people that live there, you know, good, but not me. So yeah. um, I guess my point is that the speed and the latency promises were kind of, uh, you know, they didn't quite deliver on their promises. And I think security is kind of in the same boat. I didn't, you know, I didn't get the sense from this story that security got worse or it was just terrible and it's unrepairable. I got the sense that people were expecting the next generation of telecommunications platform to be five to 10 times faster and two to three times more secure. And it didn't pan out that way at all. And I think that's what we're kind of starting to see now. We saw that already in stories about the speed problems that, you know, not having, not supporting millimeter wave and yeah. how close you have to be in those, those, uh, I don't know if there's transponders you have to have on every block practically to, to get true, those true speeds. Those stories are old news. Now the new news is, Hey, it's not just not as fast as we promised, but it's also not as secure as we promised or as you assumed it, it would be. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing, Maybe in 5G's defense, maybe it's not in 5G's defense, depends upon how you view it. If you go back four years ago and look what's transpired over the just past couple of years with all of the equipment, 65% of the infrastructure equipment was made by Huawei. Um, Huawei was banned by the United States and that equipment, the infrastructure equipment for 5G had to be removed from these base stations starting in the United States. And that branched out now to other countries and the cost just in the United States, I believe the estimate was a little more than $3 billion to remove it. And as they're getting through this more than halfway done, ripping out the old equipment and putting new equipment, that being Nokia or Ericsson or whoever to replace the Chinese Huawei equipment, they they come up over $2 billion short. So you're talking about an immense amount of money to take this equipment out, throw it in a dumpster and now install new equipment. Cause you already bought the old equipment. You just got it set up and dusting it off and it starts working. Now you're ripping it out. Now you're installing new equipment, getting configured, set up. And you're trying to do all this while people now are buying the latest and greatest, whatever Samsung, whatever phone or iPhone and trying to, to see how well the 5g works only to be disappointed like you and I, and many other people, it's not that much better. What I'm more impressed with is how good 4G LTE does work. Um, I think 5G will be here and it'll be have widespread mass adoption. And once enough people migrate over to the platform on their phone with the next year or two to come, it's going to get better and better like everything else. 
It's the early adopters that seem to pay the price. And we tend to be early adopters with technology because we enjoy it and like to play with it. But uh, we don't get the necessarily the, all of the benefits up front. It's the later models where they get the kinks and the bugs out and improve things. Um, the stat in this story here, it mentioned Nokia stated that contrary to popular belief, 5G technology will make cyber attacks more common. Four years after 5G technology was widely released, seven in 10 companies are reporting cyber attacks. Now, again, there could be a lot of reasons for it. One other reason, I think, is just look at the number of people that are um, using IoT devices and IP-based phones and other things that are running on um, and through these 5G wireless networks. So we're all interconnected. Everybody's car has got a cellular modem in it. It's a 4G LTE modem or a 5G modem. So if you think about that, it's 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 increasing the the chances and the overall attack surface that you can now work and exploit some of those those vulnerabilities there. Um, and then the, the spinoff of this, they mentioned more than four in ten respondents in a survey stated that their security staff spends forty percent of their time dealing with tasks that could have been automated earlier, but were not. So I think what 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 I kind of get the sense is this this quick push and rollout for 5g technology was a stop start they didn't have an opportunity to fully automate all the tasks and some of them became manual because it was easier or faster at the moment because everything wasn't up and running and you kind of get stuck with how you're doing it and it's hard to now go backwards and and fix things to make it more efficient and, and solve some of those problems so it's it's unfortunate but um 5g technology is great but perhaps the planning on it and reality of where we are in the uh, the economy and the, the global standard just didn't all sync up at the same time maybe overhyped a little bit yeah and you made a good point too about the huawei uh, infrastructure being pulled because you know what happens in the midst of that you're having you're having to patch these giant um broadband networks up with equipment that we're still trying to deploy ourselves. We're still, yeah. you know, and so on the one hand, maybe on the macro sense, it might make the U S more secure to not rely upon uh, Chinese made um, telecom equipment so much, but in the other sense, in, in the micro sense, in the meantime, I, um, you can almost count on the fact that there's less security. So you have, yeah. You have Chinese state and Chinese companies not happy about the move that the U.S. Uh, continues to make. But Chinese hackers and hackers around the world, they might think differently and say, oh, this, this is the perfect opportunity for us to strike because the U.S. is only half covered and half configured. And they're, you know, they're running some of these things at um, default passwords or what, you know, whatever the, the problems are. And we can we can take them down. Uh, much easier than if they kept the uh, Chinese-made infrastructure up and running. Yeah, yeah, and I think the one maybe the silver lining or some of the good things. At least it's it's being brought up, it's being talked about. We're talking about it now. But even the government, uh, CISA, back in uh, May earlier in 2022, uh, they brought it up, and, and the agency released a five-step plan for organizations that they could use to evaluate their 5G security level. So the, the government is telling you, hey, get out there and 
go through this five-step plan and see how secure it is, how your implementation of 5G, so you can update it to uh, to make sure that you're staying safe. And uh, I think a lot of the things that have been done there within CSER are good. Um, the director, Jen Easterly, she's I think she's done a good job stepping in there and making some adjustments and making changes to make uh, things safer from a national security standpoint and working with not just the government agencies, but also with the private sector. And I think when they work together, a lot can be done. So I, I kind of applaud CISA for, for, for kind of standing behind this and, and pushing things through and coming up with plans and actionable items to make a difference. That's really important. It's not just talking about it because too many government agencies and politicians talk about all the problems, just like we talk a lot about the problem, but give, give some solutions, give some tips, give some guidance so we can improve the safety, be it as a consumer, as a business owner for the larger enterprise level companies. I think that's really important. Giving people actionable items, so they can fight back against these cyber criminals, that will make a difference. Well said. All right. Well, as we wrap up here, I just want to, uh, again, thank our sponsor, Dark Kryptonite. Dark Kryptonite stops ransomware, malware and phishing in their tracks, eliminating cyber crime, fraud and information warfare. Dark Kryptonite utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. I encourage you to go visit their website, darkkryptonite.com kryptonite with a c and uh as always we like to just uh thank you listeners for taking the time to listen to us uh share some of the the highlights for this uh, week's stories that kind of stood out to us and some of our cyber tips um this podcast is available on youtube spotify google iheart amazon amazon and many more platforms if you like what you're here please subscribe and review our podcast. And of course, if you have questions or comments, we welcome them. Good, bad, or ugly. Direct message us on Twitter. You can use my Twitter handle at ScottBVS. You can also visit uh, my website, scottshober.com for more information. And uh, guess what? If we read any of your comments, your questions, your criticism, doesn't matter what it is on this podcast, we're going to send you a choice of a signed copy of one of our books. It could be Hacked Again, Cybersecurity is everybody's business or senior cyber. You can pick up any of those copies also right on Amazon as well. So again, thank you uh, all for listening. And I encourage all to tune in next week for another episode packed with cyber news tips. And this is Scott Schober heading out and I'm saying stay, stay safe to everyone. Bye now. Bye-bye. Scott and Craig Schober.